Hi, this is Esti, host of the Friday A Public Affair. I hope you help us by contributing to WORT and you can also subscribe to the podcast. Bye. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound. No, no change, change without, without struggle. struggle. No, no one, one in power, power ain't giving up nothing. None. No change without struggle. No one in power. WORT 89.9 FM, listener-sponsored community radio, Madison, Wisconsin. And hello, welcome to A Public Affair. I am Esti Dinor. Before we do anything else, I realized that last week I neglected to thank the people who pledged two weeks ago. So I want to do it now. Thank you so much, those of you who pledged. We didn't make the number of people or the number of evergreens we were supposed to, but we certainly raised a... Uh, Very nice amount for the station. So I really, really appreciate having heard from you. Thank you so much. On December 7, Peru's president Pedro Castillo announced that he had dissolved the Congress by presidential decree. Almost immediately, Congress declared this a coup and deposed him. He has since been detained, and his first vice president, Dina Boluarte, was declared president, and protests have erupted in many parts of the country, with at least six dead and many injured. In response, the newly installed president has declared a month-long state of emergency amid these protests. So we want to know and understand what's going on there. And to help us with that, we have with us uh, Jo Marie Bird. She's Associate Professor of Political Science and Latin American Studies at the Shar School of Policy and Government at George Mason University. There, she has served as Director of Latin American Studies, Co-Director of the Center for Global Studies, and Associate Chair for Undergraduate Studies. And thank you uh, very much, Jo Marie, for joining us again. <coughs> It's good to have you. We actually talked in early August last year, 2021, just after Pedro Castillo became the president of Peru. So uh, let's start there again. If you can remind us briefly who he is and how he came to be the president and um, what has transpired since? What, what has brought us to where we are now? Joe Marie. All right, looks like we're having some issues. Um, yeah, Joe Marie has uh, left us and hopefully will uh, join us very quickly so we can talk about uh, Peru and what's going on there. Joe Marie, are you back with us? Yes, I'm back. Sorry, I don't know what happened, but I got disconnected. Sorry about that. Okay. Uh, and it's we nice can, to be with you again. <laughs> we can hear you now. Thank you. Um, I'm glad you're back. Did you hear my question or should I repeat it? You could please repeat it. Yeah. Yeah. So I mentioned that you and I talked in August 2021, ju- just after Castillo became the president of Peru and... and wanted you to just uh, briefly remind us who he is, how he came to the presidency, and what has hap- what what has gotten us to where we are now since? So those are all great great, great and important questions. So first, um, Pe- Pe- Pedro Castillo is a rural school teacher, um, also a member of the teachers union. Um, not really someone who had been involved in party politics and, and certainly not national level party politics. And he really quite became president by accident. Um, it was an extremely fragmented political field in 2021. Uh, and um, I think he, he rose in the polls the very, just a few weeks before um, the first round elections. Um, and he ended up going into the second round 
vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, Keiko Fujimori, the daughter of dictator Alberto Fujimori, currently in jail for human rights abuses and corruption, um, with only tw with less than 20% of the vote, Keiko, I think, had 15% uh, of the vote. So neither of these candidates were particularly popular, but they were the candidates who made it into the second round. And I think the reason Castillo won those elections by admittedly a very small margin, something like 40,000 votes, um, was twofold. One was he, I think he captured the imagination of many poor and rural Peruvians who have felt for, you know, centuries as if they've been excluded from the political and economic system of the country. Um, he promised change. He promised political and economic change. Um, and I think that was something that people wanted to hear. So there was a pro-Castillo vote. But he also was elected. He also won those elections because there was a very strong anti-Keiko Fujimori vote. In fact, it's important to note that she's run for president in all of the last three presidential elections. She's made it into the second round in each case. And she's been defeated in large part because there is a very strong anti-Keiko vote. The problem that Pedro Castillo faced once he did take power was that the Congress was dominated by Keiko Fujimori's party and a handful of other uh, far-right parties who not only um, were in opposition to his government, but actually tried to deny the legitimacy of the election claimed that there was fraud. Actually, they came to Washington. I, I, I went to their press release. They came to Washington demanding the Organization of American States uh, uh, call the elections to be fraudulent. There was no proof of this ever demonstrated. Um, and that Congress has made an effort from the very beginning to remove Castillo from office and have continued to maintain this falsehood that he was um, not um, legitimately elected. So it is true, certainly, that Castillo was a weak president. He came in with no, um, no majority in Congress. His own party has since fragmented into a number of smaller groups. So there, he doesn't really have a strong party to back him up. Um, the Congress has been relentless in trying to have him removed from office using some questionable um, clauses in the Constitution. So he's faced a very difficult time in the year and a half that he's been in power. Um, and, and I think that, you know, the, the unfolding events, um, I, 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 it's hard to characterize what's happening in Peru right now in just a few words, but I think it shows the profound crisis of the entire Peruvian political system. There's a crisis of representation. There's a crisis of institutional stability. There's a crisis in the balance of powers between um, the executive and the, and the, and the Congress in particular. Um, and, it, and it's reached a breaking point. And this is one of the reasons why we see so many people in the streets. It's not, you know, some, you know, press have made the point that it's, you know, people in the street calling for Castillo's uh, release and return to power. There is a small number of people making that demand, but overwhelmingly people are enerved because they also see that the Congress is responsible for the current crisis. And so they, 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 they have a problem with Castillo being forced out and the same Congress continuing to retain power. And in fact, the same Congress now overseeing a government, you know, working side by side with the current government, the Dina Boluarte government, that is responding to protests with a, a severe repression. Right. So there's been escalating protests because of the discontent over the government and the Congress, but also in response to the government's response to the protests, right? We, we now have at least 20 people killed by police oh. force, police and military forces. They've, they've declared a state of emergency. They've declared a curfew in many provinces in the country. There's a, a reports of uh, arbitrary detentions, of torture, um, of police firing tear gas and bullets from helicopters in certain regions in the country. You don't see that so much in Lima, but you do see it in the regions. Um, so the repression itself is generating a, a more intense 
uh, uh, more is generating more intense unrest. Mm-hmm. So, ooh, that is um, so much for one thing. Um, <laughs> the way the opposition has been challenging the legitimacy of uh, Castillo um, is very reminiscent to me of uh, what was still is happening in this country and i wonder if there's any i I mean can we say that keiko fujimori learned from trump or is that just (laughs) let's start with that and uh, then go to the other stuff absolutely i mean i I, when i wrote about this last year I, i i did write that Keiko Fujimori was taking a page out of the Donald Trump playbook in denying the legitimacy of Pedro Castillo's election, claiming that there was fraud, that she was the legitimate president, a fiction that she continues to uphold as she and other uh, right wing leaders continue to maintain, despite, again, zero evidence. So, yes, very much it is uh, the Trump playbook. But I think it's also important to acknowledge that a lot of her strategy is very homegrown. I mean, her father um, was a dictator who was in power for 10 years and he perfected the art of fake news. I mean, fake news was rampant in Peru under Fujimori. I mean, he literally um, literally um, bought out the, the um, main television stations and there are videos showing his number one advisor, Vladimir, Vladimir Montesinos, literally paying suitcases full of money to heads of TV stations in Peru so that they would publish news favorable to the Fujimori regime. Um, and then the, the regime also published uh, a series of uh, what we would call yellow press newspapers that were completely loyal to the regime and kind of try to drown out the, the few uh, independent press that existed at that time. At that time, of course, there wasn't really internet the way we know it today. So there was not the, the massive digital publications that we know today. So there was not really a lot of alternative press. So the control of the regime over the press was nearly total. Um, so fake news and, and manipulation of, of, of the media is something that the Fujimori clan is quite adept at. So, so yes, certainly it's very akin to the Trump playbook, but at the same time, Keiko Fujimori learned at the feet of her father, and she vindic she revindic she vindicates her father's government one hundred percent. He was a dictator. He's in jail for human rights abuses. I mean, there's no way to you know hide hide that reality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I think, what Trump uh, would have loved to have is control of the whole media, mm-hmm. <laughs> though he was the darling of quite a lot of it for quite a while. Um, but let's get back to Peru. Um so you said that at least 20 people have been killed. My number of at least six people is from yesterday. So um, a lot of um, a lot of new um, casualties, for sure, more uh, people injured. And um, like you said, the violence has really gone up uh, quite a bit. Uh, Dina Boluarte said that there will be no bloodshed. Um, She is, she used to be um, his vice president and uh, from the same party, which of course has um, thrown both of them out of the uh, of the party, and you can talk about that. But um, what's going on? Does she have any power at all, or, or is it really the uh, Fujimori people who are in control here? Right. So, um, just about the numbers. Um, yesterday alone, there are reports from Ayacucho that seven, at least seven people, were killed by police um, shootings. Um, so the number um, that came out last night by the Human Rights Ombudsman's office was, I believe it was 20 or 21. So the, the numbers are escalating very quickly. And it is, it's important to note, two years ago, I don't know if you recall, um, pre- the president at the time, Martin Vizcarra, was removed from office by the Congress. And the president of Congress became uh, president of the country, Manuel Merino. He was only in power for five days after two people, two young men were reported killed 
his entire cabinet collapsed and he resigned. There have been now almost at least 20 dead. Not a single minister has resigned. Um, and the, in fact, the government has doubled down. Um, yesterday evening, the, the Council of Ministers circulated a little clip on Twitter showing I mean, a huge contingent of military or police marching into the Plaza San Martin, one of the main plazas in downtown uh, Lima, where people gather for protests. Um, I mean, massive amounts of police and, and or military. Um, and, and there have been numerous videos circulating um, from around the country of police um, attacking protesters either uh, you know, with their batons or with their with their hands or or shooting them directly. And there was one video from last night where you saw uh, a, a young man who had been he was on the ground. He was being held down by a police officer and another police officer walking by kicks him in the face mm. and then keeps going. So there are scenes of intense police brutality and an excessive use of force that, as I said earlier, are adding fuel to the fire, right? So that's one thing. The government has shown zero um, sensitivity about this. I mean, Dina Boluarte last night, she put on um, Twitter a little note saying that she was sorry about the people who had died in Ayacucho and put a little black... Um, you know, a black background with a white um, uh, little ribbon uh, saying her condolences, but not saying anything about what her government is doing to stop police brutality and police violence and the excessive use of force, right? And so essentially the, the, the um, state of emergency decree that she handed down a couple of days ago gives no limit, establishes no limits on police use of force. And so the police and military have interpreted this as a red light, uh, sorry, as a green light to go ahead and commit these, this kind of violence. So this is one indicator of, you know, where, you know, is this Boluarte's will or is Boluarte unable to make the decisions and she's not really the one in charge here? It's as yet unclear. I'm a little more inclined to the letter. Um, given the kinds of statements we've seen. Um, but it is true that, as you said, she was a member of the Peru Libre, which translates as Free Peru Party, a Marxist-Leninist left-wing party that uh, Castillo was also part of. Uh, she was kicked out early this year. Castillo also left the party earlier this year. And that party has since fragmented into a number of different groupings. Um, uh, but it is, I think what's important to note here is that the Congress had a an accusation against Boluarte, actually a quite minor matter, when she was already vice president and minister of, of uh, development and social inclusion. She continued to serve as the president of the Apurimac club. This is sort of a social club of uh, provincial departments or there is the Cusco club, the Arequipa club, the Apurima club, which is her club. And she signed some legal documents while she was vice president. That's not allowed. I mean, it's not a major, I mean, you know, it's not the kind of thing where you would like, you know, be able to remove her from office, I would think. But they had this, they had this um, accusation against her. And that accusation was shelved three days before she became president. So of course, mm -hmm. this has raised a great deal of suspicion as to whether the, the right-wing groups in Congress had made some kind of deal with Boluarte that they would allow her to come on as vice, as president, which is a, you know, the constitutional succession is, you know, if the president steps down or is forced out for some reason, the vice president is the next in line. Uh, if, if she goes along with their um, desired uh, policies. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of speculation about that. Now, what, you know, I do think it's important to note that Castillo did try to carry out a coup. He did go outside of the institutional framework. And that misstep is what landed him in trouble. That misstep is what landed him in being removed, giving the Congress basically the ammunition they needed to remove him, which they'd been trying to do, but did not have the votes to do. 
And that that's the reason he's uh, no longer in president. He's now facing um, uh, uh, trial on 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 charges of rebellion and conspiracy. Um, so to the extent, you know, we don't really know all the details about whether this was actually something planned or it just sort of occurred this way. And now the right wing groups in Congress are taking full advantage of the power that they had. And so they have sort of Dina Boluarte in their pocket. That does seem to be, to me, a little bit more of, of the situation. Um, and I don't think this government is tenable. I think this government is going to collapse, uh, very soon. Mm -hmm. Well, my guest is Jo-Marie Burt, Associate Professor of Political Science and Latin American Studies at the Shar School of Policy and Government at George Mason University. I really appreciate uh, Jo-Marie hearing such a, um, such a, shall I say, inclusive, you have so much information, um, really appreciate it. Um, if listeners would like to join us, they can do it at 608-256-2001, extension 9. You can also join us uh, on social media, at what talk on Twitter or a public affair on uh, Facebook. So... Um, Two questions, but let's start with uh, the one about Castillo, which you said it was really a coup attempt, what he um, did. Before that, uh, there were all these accusations of corruption um, that seemed to have originated from Congress. And I wonder what we know about that. Is Was his um, rule really corrupt or was that... At, um, one of these fake news? Right. That's a very important question. I mean, I think it's important to start out by saying that virtually every president in Peru in recent memory, uh, with perhaps one exception, the president who uh, preceded uh, Castillo and who was only in office for about eight months, every other president has been um, charged with um, corruption. Some have been prosecuted. Some are awaiting trial. Um, one actually killed himself when he was about to be arrested on charges of corruption. That was Alan Garcia. Um, so corruption is absolutely a problem in Peru. It's a problem that um, virtually all presidents have been um, accused of. Um, and so uh, just wanna, I just want to contextualize this for a moment because I do think that that is important. Corruption is a major problem in Peru. Um uh, there are credible accusations that um, uh, persons close to Castillo, including advisors and some family members, may have been involved in some kind of kickback schemes. Um, the only direct accusation against Castillo came the day that he announced his self-coup, in which a person who used to work in the Ministry of Housing was testifying before Congress about his direct, I mean, he he said that he literally himself delivered uh, wads of cash to Castillo as part of a kickback scheme. Um, these kind of kickback schemes are extremely common in Peru. That is not at all to justify them, but they are extremely common in Peru. Um, so is it likely that these charges are credible? It, it is likely, but the Peruvian constitution does not allow you to remove a president who is accused of corruption. You have to lift his immunity and investigate him. And then if the investigations turn out to be true, then he can be removed from office. Um, the, but the Congress was seeking to use any, um, any justification to remove Castillo. And this is not the first time they've done this. Clearly, it was a different Congress in 2020, but the Congress then did the same thing with President Vizcarra. President Vizcarra was all, there was also an accusation of corruption, um, and they used the moral incapacity clause in the Constitution, which is extremely vague, which means you can interpret it as you wish. All you need is 87 out of 130 votes in Congress to apply that clause and then remove the president from office, which is highly problematic. Human rights organizations, the Inter-American Commission for Human Rights and other entities have called upon Peru, specifically on the Constitutional Tribunal, to regulate that clause of the Constitution so it is clearer what qualifies as moral incapacity. 
right? But that has not occurred. And so it continues to be vague and it continues to be abused and misused. It was abused against Vizcarra, who was removed for this accusation when he really should have been, They want if they wanted to investigate him, they would have had to lift his immunity and then investigate him, right? Um, you can't just, this is one of the problems that we have. There's an absolute dis imbalance of powers, giving Congress greater powers over the executive, which means that it can remove a president almost at will. I mean, it's not at will because they tried twice before to remove Castillo and they didn't have enough votes, which is very interesting because they are the, they do have um, the majority in, in the Congress, but they didn't get enough votes both times. And we, we actually don't think most people that I've spoken to don't think that this time they had enough votes either. So it's still unclear what led Castillo to the decision on December 7th to shut down Congress, to, to, to uh, declare a state of emergency, to say he was going to um, intervene in the judiciary. It's unclear what led him to that. Did he, you know, did he know about this other person testifying against him? Uh, was it a power move that he was just, it's very unclear. And he's since, you know, he's since claimed that he, you know, he's not done anything wrong, that he's the legitimate president of Peru, that he's, he's now being held a you know, a prisoner, I sorry, being held, uh, he's being kidnapped, he's been kidnapped, all of which is deeply problematic as well. That's adding fuel to the fire, right? He's, he's really not helping the situation. Um, I mean, I, I, it's very lamentable what has occurred, in my opinion. Um, I don't, I don't, um, you know, I don't condone what Castillo did on December 7th. Um, but I also um, think uh, he, he was, he was obstructed at every turn by this Congress. Again, that does not justify what he did, uh, but there is a context in which one needs to understand his actions. But we still, again, we still, there's a lot we still don't know. Yeah, yeah. But everything that you said um, really takes us back to the many crises that you mentioned earlier. I think that Boluarte, if I'm not wrong, is the seventh president in five years or something like that. Um, maybe you can go a little deeper into um, into all these crises that right. uh, Peru is um, is drowning in, really, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Since 2018, Peru has had six presidents and none of those presidents fulfilled a full term in office, which is five years. So that it's just in itself points to tremendous levels of instability. And I think there I mean, there are not numerous factors that as far as I can see, have, have contributed to this situation. Um, I think first is that Peru is governed by the constitution of 1993 that was put in place uh, shortly after the president at the time, Alberto Fujimori, carried out himself a self-coup in which he suspended Congress with the backing of the armed forces, intervened in the judiciary uh, uh, and so forth. Um, and in the in the aftermath of massive uh, international uh, rejection of this move, he convened a new Congress that was to write a new constitution. But this, this was a Congress that was not elected. And I was living at per, in Peru at the time. It was not elected in free and fair conditions. It was elected in the conditions of a de facto government. And this Congress um, gave a majority to the Fujimori party and they wrote a constitution to the likings of Alberto Fujimori, including allow him allowing him a one-time re-election. So this this constitution is what is the is the is the um, the law of the land still you know, thirty years later. Um, and some of the elements of this constitution, like the the clause of moral incapacity that I've just talked about, generates instability under certain conditions. One of those conditions is extreme fragmentation, which we see in Peru. Peru is a country where there are virtually no real political parties, um, where there are small groupings that emerge in the context of elections, and then they dissolve when those elections are over, for the most part, right? Um, in the 2021 elections, there were something like 19 different candidates for the presidency. So you can see the level, the, the Congress, there are... Um, I forget the number, but it's but it's more, I think it's more than twelve or, or, or fourteen different political groupings in Congress. There's an extreme fragmentation 
uh, that's occurred. But the third, and I think critical factor, is that uh, Keiko Fujimori's uh, achieved an, a majority in Congress in 2016 and used that power to uh, obstruct the executive. I mean, in the same way that we were talking about just now in terms of the Castillo government. So the 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 Congress in the hands of these right-wing parties, first Fujimorismo by itself in 2016, and now this coalition of different right-wing parties, which includes Fujimorismo, but it also includes um, a couple of other newer right-wing parties that have emerged. Um, uh, they're using the power of the Congress and they're manipulating their power to create greater power for themselves. So they're changing norms in the Constitution to undermine the power of powers that, that belong to the executive and they're bringing them over to the Congress. So the, the disequilibrium that already existed between the executive and the Congress have now gotten more intense. Um, so some people talk about um, a dictatorship of the Congress. I think the dictatorship is a little bit strong of a word, but you get my meaning, right? Where Congress is arrogating powers to itself that is generating an unsust... It's no longer a situation where there is uh, a balance of power. And this is a factor of incredible instability. The president can't get anything done. Presidents are extremely vulnerable to being removed from office, generating this extreme instability, um, and attempts at power grabs by the right. So um, there is um, support for Castillo by other Latin American leaders. Um, there was a joint statement from Colombia, Argentina, Mexico, and Bolivia, which expressed deep concern over his austere and detention and said that they still consider him Peru's legitimate leader and uh, requested that his human rights be respected and judicial protection guaranteed. Um, Castillo was considered to be one of the um, left wave, if you will, of um, people who have come to power in uh, some of these um, countries is that does that matter that they support him or how does it matter maybe is the question right right um so i can agree with the part of their statement where they're asking for respect for castillo's due process rights and guarantees of a fair and impar impartial uh process I think that is absolutely essential in a, in a democratic country uh, that, that respects rule of law. Um, where I disagree is with this idea that Castillo was ousted because for no reason at all. I think Castillo, it's clear that Castillo, he went before the cameras. He attempted a, a coup. He, he attempted a closure of Congress. Um, and it wasn't just closure of Congress. He was an intervening in the um, judiciary. He was going to arrest the attorney general. He was declaring a state of emergency um, and calling for a new Congress that would write a new constitution. He did not have the constitutional authority to do that. And so this is why he basically gave Congress a reason to uh, vacate him from office, right? He, he, he made a grave misstep, misstep when he made that announcement. We don't know what led him to make that announcement. We don't know whose advice he was following. He clearly was surrounded by his new prime minister, Betsy Chavez, um, and by his faithful uh, person who's been with him all along, recent until recently, his prime minister, Aníbal Torres, whether it was them or someone else who led him to uh, the idea that, that this, what we do know is the day before he was preparing his statement before Congress, he was preparing to defend himself before the newest attempt to remove him from office, and everyone assumed that the Congress would not have the votes necessary. So, you know, to say that he's still the, uh, you know, elected president of Peru is, I think, a little problematic. Um, I think that's a, a statement based more on ideological affinity than on reality. Um, uh, and I think that's a problem. Uh, I do also think it's important to acknowledge that many Peruvians in, especially in rural areas, 
who voted for Castillo are very upset that he was removed from office. Um, they feel like they voted for him, that the Congress obstructed his rule from at every turn, uh, and that they expressed an extreme level of, the word in Spanish is desprecio, um, an extreme level of, um, well, it's, it's really racism, but it's more than racism. Uh, it's disdain. The word is disdain towards him precisely because he is, uh, you know, from from a poor rural uh, area of Peru. Uh, part, you know, and Peru is a deeply racist country, a country where, you know, the, the indigenous and Afro-descended population has historically been excluded from political uh, and economic life. Let's not forget that just a couple of decades, two decades ago, there was an internal armed conflict in which three quarters of the victims were indigenous people in a country where only something like 20% of the population is indigenous. Um, so there is a long history of racism and, and, and people felt that in the way Congress uh, and others in the media that were sort of the conservative or, or, or mainstream media would talk about Castillo. Um, make fun of his diction, of his phrasing, hmm. um, implying that he was ignorant and, and, and you know, incapable and, and so on and so forth. And certainly he was a weak and ineffective leader. Um, but um, there is discontent among, you know, many rural Peruvians with the sense that you know, we voted for this guy. They wouldn't let him run. And now he's been removed from office. What about us? What about our vote? Where, where do we stand? So there is this very, a much deeper problem in Peru about who counts as a citizen, who, whose voices count, whose voices are being heard. You know, Peru is a stultifyingly centralist uh, country. You know, everything is, decisions are made in Lima. Uh, uh, media is focused on, on what happens in Lima. What happens in provinces is an anecdote. So there is a deeper uh, problem here that goes far beyond what is happening with with President Castillo um, and and the present Congress. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I I, I want to actually get back to it, but I want to make sure that we're talking um, also about the United States because um, at the end of July. 21, Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of uh, U.S. State Department, um, spoke to then-President-elect Pedro Castillo, and uh, he expressed his hope that Peru would uh, continue to play a constructive role in addressing the deteriorating situation in Cuba and Nicaragua. I'm uh, quoting him. And um, at least some people see that as a um, warning, basically, to Castillo to continue um, Peru's alignment with U.S. foreign policy in uh, the region, as his uh, predecessor, uh, Kuczynski, had done before. And um, there is, of course, a whole history of U.S. involvement and interference in uh, Peru and in Latin America generally, what what do we know at this point about the role of the United States in um, trying basically to depose another leftist president? And I'm not. I, I remember when we talked. Um, what was it? Sixteen months ago. Or so that I asked you if he was really leftist because, um, uh-huh. well, you know, I'm not sure that he was, but that's um, how people see him. Um, so w- where does the United States, w- what's its role here in, in this situation? Right. So I, I, I'd say I think it's important to remember that in 2021, when he was elected president, and the right-wing parties and Fujimorismo in particular were claiming fraud with no evidence. The United States recognized President Castillo as the duly elected president of the country and called on the other forces in the country to respect his presidency. Um, so I think there, there's a, an example of you know good faith action on the part of the U.S. government vis-a-vis uh, the Castillo government. Um, I'm not I'm not clear about the whole thing about Nicaragua and Cuba. I mean, that's a kind of a bizarre thing to 
you know, focus on as if that were the only issue <laughs> that that the president of Peru were facing. Right. I mean, I, I do think there are problems about about what's happening in Cuba and, and Nicaragua in particular. Um, but there are lots of problems in the region. I mean, look at Colombia. There are you know tens of, and t- dozens of um, community leaders are being murdered every week in Colombia, even though there has been a peace agreement signed. Um, and why is this not the focus of attention, right? So I, I have some trouble with that kind of a focus, if that was what the U.S. government said. Um, but in the current context, um, it's un- what I do know is that within an hour and a half, I think, two hours maybe, of Castillo's um, public address, the U.S. ambassador issued a, twit- a tweet, um, uh, uh, you know, calling on uh, Peru to maintain within the, you know, within the Constitution, so that it supported, you know, the constitutional, you know, uh, rule of law, and, and by, by, by default, uh, criticizing uh, the Castillo move. Um, so beyond that, um, oh, there has also been, I know that there was a meeting with the Minister of Foreign Relations and the U.S. Ambassador. There was a picture of the two of them put on Twitter a couple days ago. Um, so the the, the U.S. government is kind of taking that line of we support, you know, the constitutional transition of power, which, you know, is not surprising for the U.S. that they, they tend to focus on, you know, what the constitutional uh, 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 rules of the game are um, behind the scenes, whether there's more going on. Undoubtedly, there is. But I'm not uh, I don't know. I don't have any information about what else is going on mm-hmm. um, in that regard. Okay, so let me ask you about something else that um, I I don't really understand. Maybe you would be able to um, clarify to some degree. Um, I read that former foreign minister in Castillo's government, Hector Bejar, was forced to resign early in Castillo's oh, rule yes. because of a statement that implicated elements of the Peruvian Navy in the 70s in collusion with the CIA uh, involved in terrorist actions that allegedly led to the formation of the guerrilla movement Shining Path in the 1980s. Do, do you, what, what can um, you tell me yeah, about Yeah, I remember it? something about that. I remember that, that Hector Bejar, who's a very well-known and very respected um, public intellectual in Peru, who did have some involvement with the guerrilla movement in the 60s, um, he was named a prime minister and he was ousted within minutes, practically. Um, and what you just quoted was basically an excuse to get rid of him. Um, it was an effort. It was an, it, I think that was a, a very clear example of the right wing Congress using its muscle to force Castillo into um, creating a cabinet that was, you know, um, more to its liking and putting putting the the Castillo government on uh, on edge, you know, um, and and the 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 Congress has called numerous of of Castillo's cabinet members um, in for questioning. And he, as a result of this and, and other factors, it's not only the Congress, but there's been this insane turnover of ministers, there's been more than 70 ministers um, in a span of a year and a half. So there's been tremendous instability at the level of the cabinet, which is another factor. And, you know, it's very difficult to govern when you have such a high turnover in uh, the ministers, the people who are in charge of making policies and, and so forth. Yeah. And so that's another example of how Congress was, you know, just using its power to the maximum expression to limit what Castillo was doing so. So, you know, again, that example is a really good one because it showed right off the bat, we're not going to let you have the prime minister that you want. We're going to force but, him um, using me... a pretext from, you know, from four decades ago. Quite, quite, quite bizarre. Yeah. But but do we know anything about this allegation? It's uh, what I mean, to, to link. I mean, so one of the problems is the idea of linking Bejar with Shining Path is utterly absurd. Bejar was involved in a guerrilla movement in the 60s that was um, quickly defeated. Um, and Shining Path is a completely different animal. Shining Path is Maoist. Uh, it rejects all the other guerrilla formations that existed in Peru previously and the other guerrilla movement that existed at the time, the, the Tupac Amaro, the MRTA movement. 
Um, uh, but the government, the, sorry, the right wing in Peru, and this includes, you know, members of Congress, other politicians, the media, uh, uh, business elites, and others regularly engage in this kind of false equivalence, um, connecting not just former guerrillas from the 60s, but anything connected to the left. You could be a member of a, tra a trade union or um, uh, a peasant federation, uh, and they're going to connect you with the Shining Path. Um, and they've even created a word for this in Peru. It's called terroqueo. So terrorist is a very frequently used word in Peru to talk about Shining Path. And then it was shortened to, to as terruco. And so if I terruquear, to terruquear someone is to um, claim that they are a terrorist with the aim of discrediting them. Hmm. And this is a very common thing that you see in Peru. And it is, you. I mean, it's been used against me frequently on Twitter. If you go look at any of the responses huh. I have to some of my tweets about Peru, I'm called a terrorist, a communist, a terruca all the time. Huh. Um, this is be de deployed against, it's being deployed against the protesters right now. I mean, there are members of Congress who are saying these are com. There was one member of Congress yesterday who said we've we've removed communism from the executive. Now we have to remove communism from the streets. So there's this bl these blanket statements trying to equate everyone engaged in protest who are not in line with the right wing views as terrorists, as members of the Shining Path, which is utterly ludicrous mm -hmm. so let's uh get back we only have about six minutes left let's get back to uh what's happening right now in the streets uh putting together what you described the the level of violence against the uh people who are protesting and uh what you said about peru being a very uh, racist country and what you just said now about uh, declaring anyone who disagrees with the right to be a terrorist um it i mean it gives me a feeling that it's possible that um the right wing and the the police and possibly the military have been just waiting for this minute to come so they could uh, go and call um, some of the uh, indigenous people, of the poor people. Um, it sounds like they really are loving to do it. Am I overstating it, do you oh, think? Or? I think that, I mean, that is accurate. I think that um, the Congress acted in a way from the moment Castillo was elected, A, refusing to recognize his legitimate election, B, trying to remove him from office or otherwise have him removed from power using a, you know, a variety of mechanisms, including that, that moral incapacity clause that I've already talked about, but other methods as well. Um, obstructing his government, you know, constantly calling uh, his cabinet members to be uh, questioned and, 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 and forcing them out of office and so on, as we've, as we've discussed. Um, and, and, and changing the Constitution, so giving themselves more power and, and limiting his power. Essentially, the Congress, the, 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 current, the current Constitution allows the president to, re to close down the Congress if the Congress has denied two times a question of confidence, but they've rewritten the rules so that a question of confidence, only the Congress can determine whether that goes forward or not. So they've literally eliminated that power of the executive. So they, I think that is true that they were painting him, pushing him into a corner and waiting for him to make a misstep. And he unfortunately made that misstep on December 7th when he announced his self coup and they were ready to act. I think that is accurate. Um, and what is very concerning to me at this point is um, in the context of rising protests, um, people clearly stating, we see you, <laughs> we see what's happening. We do not believe. And remember, the Congress is deeply despised in Peru. 87% of the people have said that they disapprove of the current Congress. 
and that if Castillo were removed from office, they would want the Congress to also be dissolved and call for new elections. So that is what you're hearing in the streets. People are demanding new elections for the president and for the Congress. Um, and this is why you're hearing people de you know, demand that the, that, that the president respond with a, a the decree law that um, uh, convenes elections in 2023. Um, but the, 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 the massive violence that we also see there, like I said, there there have been instances of vandalism. Um, I think we see this in almost all big protests. People try to take advantage of the chaos to create their own chaos. But but basically, most people are engaging in peaceful protest, expressing their discontent with the current Congress and the current situation, and calling for new elections. And this cannot be repressed out of existence. And that is what the current government is trying to do and why I think this government, if there is not a radical change now, it is going to fall. Yeah. So in two minutes, um, you think it's going to fall. Um, thank you for <laughs> looking into your crystal ball that way. What else uh, might happen in the near future? I mean, the other alternative is they ramp up repression. And more and more people will be killed. I mean, it's important to say, Etsy, um, the Inter-American Commission just announced a few, an hour before we came on air, that they were um, invited by the government of Peru to send a mission, and they were hoping to go next week. And that is extremely important because the Inter-American Commission is um, clear about the need for restricting the use of state violence and allowing for peaceful protests and hopefully in creating, you know, mechanisms of dialogue to get Peru out of this crisis situation that it finds itself in with, you know, and minimizing future, lo future loss of life. That is essential. Yeah, yeah. Well, Joe Marie Barrett, Associate Professor of Political Science and Latin American Studies at the Charles School of Policy and Government at George Mason University. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate the breadth of uh, knowledge that uh, you bring with you. Appreciate it. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. And thanks to Summer and to Jade for their help today. As always, I am STD Noor. Thank you again. Bye-bye. The big sound from underground, another pirate station. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard before. We bring the sound communication of our tribal war. Dark vision fly by helicopters in the night. Attempt triangulation of our station in the fight. Straight from the base, deep down, no precision. High crime treason, we broadcast in sedition. Like the war.